The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Third week of a series called The Ever-Chasing God. Um, it's honestly been one of the f- my most favorite uh, sermon series that we've ever done here. Um, I can resonate with a lot of what's going on in the book of Jonah. So w- we're going to do this this morning. Um, we're just going to dive right in. If you've got a copy of the Bible, if you got it on, on your phone or physically, turn it on, turn it to. And while you're turning to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. Um, It's about seven books to the left of Matthew. Go ahead and find it if you got a Bible. And while you're finding it, let me tell you this. Last week, we had the second week of our student ministry gathering. Our student ministry at Story City Church is beginning to form, and it's been so fun, so exciting. Seriously, it, it, it was the highlight of my week last week, last Wednesday night. And if you're a student or if you're a parent of a student, I want to encourage you, please do whatever you can to make it to these gatherings. Now, in November, uh, we're just meeting once a month. In November, I think it's November 15th, as a student ministry, we are going to go and serve uh, in our city. It's going to be a really cool deal. So you can find all that online, storycitychurch.com forward slash calendar. Now, back to the book of Jonah. Let me pray for us. We're going to jump right in today. All right, Jesus, thank you for your grace. God, thank you that you know every story represented in this room, Jesus. And I thank you, God, that in spite of our running or God, whatever, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, in the Uh, midst of this grand narrative of creation and history, Lord, whether it's running, looking into your face, God, your grace is applicable, it's present, and it's thick. So God, would you give us an experience of your grace this morning as we read the scriptures? In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Jonah chapter one, last two weeks, if you missed it, I want to encourage you to check out the podcast and get caught up as to where we are if you've not been here. But Jonah chapter one, we found a man who heard from God and God said, Jonah, the purpose for your life at this point is going to be to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach the gospel of grace to Nineveh. Jonah said, I hear you, God, but I don't think so. You want me to go west, I'm going to go east. That's not what I see for my life. And so Jonah ran from God. One of the reasons why I love Jonah is because it is so applicable to so many who have ever experienced this running from God. And not necessarily in the big moments of life. It could be in the everyday moments of life. But it is so, so good. So we're going to pick up the story, Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And uh, like we've done the last, uh, specifically the first week, we're just going to read through every single verse together. And I want to use the verse as the illustration to shed light on what God may want to say to us today. All right? We call that expositional preaching. Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is, uh, oh, I'm in the book of Micah. Let me go ahead and turn over to Jonah chapter 2. Um, I wasn't prepared for Micah. Jonah, verse 1 Pray to the Lord is God from the stomach of the fish. Now, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, we were left with this um, scenario in this scene where Jonah had ran from God. He found a ship down in Joppa. He headed to Tarshish. He was on board in the um, depth of that ship. The sea went crazy, and through a series of events, they found out that Jonah was the reason why the sea was going crazy. They threw Jonah over, and verse 17 in Jonah chapter 1 says, this fish swallowed Jonah. Now, some of us uh, lose our connectedness to this story at that point. As we have said the last two weeks, if God could speak the world into existence by his voice simply, Jonah, uh, Genesis chapter 1 
then using a fish to swallow a man is not really a big deal. In fact, it's probably not even in the top 10 miracles in the entire scriptures. So don't lose the connectedness of the story. And, uh, and so what's happening here, it's not a parable. This is, uh, we read this literally. This is a fish. Jonah is in the belly of this fish. And now we are at the third day of his experience. Draw your own narrative, create your own uh, crayon drawing of what's happening with Jonah. But I imagine it's hot, fish juices slashing everywhere, slushing everywhere. It smells like the dumpster behind your favorite Japanese restaurant in Burbank, right? It's a miserable experience. But why now? Three days into the process, Jonah cries out to God. I find it interesting here that Jonah's three days into this process and he cries out to God in his moment of crisis. Would we agree? This is a moment of crisis, right? Jonah's in the belly of a whale. It's not uh, he's not watching Netflix or college football. This is a crisis. I believe the moments of crisis for those of us who know Jesus and are believers come when these moments of opportunity to either obey God, look into his face, and go his way, or hear from God and decide to run from him. Those are moments of crisis. Let me give you an example just to launch us into what's going on here. Moments of crisis may be in in your, in your romantic life, your dating life, your marriage life. Like, God, I'm going to obey you, but when it comes to this one area, I'm going to hold on to it because I find some meaning and purpose and satisfaction in the way I'm going. Maybe if you have kids, maybe for you this morning, it's maybe how you raise your kids. You know that, that I can be obedient to God and raise them in a home that honors Jesus, but for whatever reason, maybe when things go haywire, I decide to protect my insecurities and not raise them in a way that I know honors God. Maybe it's in the area of your finances. You're stretched to the max. You have zero money left over to honor God with your finances because you find meaning and purpose in your finance. Maybe it's in your job. You never take off. You never shut down. You never have a day of Sabbath. Maybe it's just in your life. Maybe it's just in your life where you're like, God, I, 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 this is really what I want for my life, so I don't really want you to speak into this process because I'm afraid of what you may say, and I may have to obey you. The moments of crisis in your life may come, may come when you look God in the eyes and say, I know this is where you want me to go, but God, I want to go this other way because there's something more important to me. Now, verse 2, Jonah says, this is Jonah's prayer. Jonah says in verse 2, and I called out of my distress to the Lord. It sounds very familiar to a lot of things we read in the Old Testament, particularly David, Psalm chapter 18, verse 6. He used these same exact words in a very similar circumstance. Said, uh, I cried out to the Lord in my distress, the scripture says in Psalm 18, 6, and from his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. So Jonah says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and listen to what he says. Now listen to this. We know God heard Jonah's prayer. Why? He answered him, verse 2 it says. God answered Jonah. This is the beginning of a heart of Jonah that's beginning to tell the truth about what's happening. Um, biblically, theologically, we call what's about to happen here and what's happening in this moment, we call this repentance. Repentance is a big word, but basically it's this moment where we say the same thing about what's happening in our life that God says about it. Particularly, Jonah says, I've run from you, God. You call that sin. I'm going to call it exactly what you've called it. I've run from you. But it's not just acknowledging that God sees it that way. Repentance has this idea of a turning. So Jonah's going this way. He repents. He agrees that God sees the things the way he sees it. And then he actually turns and walks with God. This is the beginning of Jonah's repentance. And we know that God heard Jonah's prayer. 
I really believe this. By the way, uh, what a beautiful picture of a God of second chances, especially when we see this entire chapter in totality. I believe your failure is never final when repentance is your attitude. You need to understand that this morning to get to where we need to go. Failure is never final when repentance is your attitude. Now, verse 3, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And he's acknowledging that God put him there. The reason he's there is because God allowed him to be there. Remember we said Romans chapter 1 last week, if that's the way you want to go, then you can have it. Now, verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. Verse 4, so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Jonah is saying, God, I feel like you have forgotten me. Um, I, it's sort of ironic, like, what else did you expect, Jonah? Like in verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1, you said, I went down to Joppa to escape the presence of God. We said it the last two weeks, presence. Hebrew word is panim. He tried to escape, not physically. He knew he couldn't physically get away from God. He tried to escape his relationship, the face of God. Now Jonah is saying, God, I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you don't even know me. You don't even know what's happening can I speak to you personally this morning? Do you feel forgotten by God? Have you ever walked through this season where you're like, God, do you, do you even know? Do you, do you care? Are you aware of what's happening in this moment? Are you in the heart of the sea this moment? I mean, this morning? Chaos swirling around. Are you in the heart of the sea? You're like, God, do you even know what's going on? I, 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 I love Jonah chapter 2. I love Jonah chapter 2. Because by the time we get to the end of it, we're going to find out that you have not been forgotten by God. You've not been forgotten by God. He's unrelenting in his pursuit of you. He loves you and he has you here this morning to bring you back. Um, over the last 17 years of ministry, I happened for nine years to be in a place where men who were pastors who had gotten in trouble for whatever reason, sometimes not a fault of their own, they just found themselves in a really difficult place in life. Some because they had willfully chosen to walk out of the will of God. They were not faithful to their wife. They were not faithful in their finances. They were engaged in pornography. Um, some were beaten up and abused by the church that they served in. And uh, so I watched these men in this church, in this environment where I served in. There was a ministry called the City of Refuge for pastors literally all over the country and some around the world who had said, I found myself at the bottom of the pit and I need help. They were like Jonah. I'm at the bottom of the whale. God, I now see you and I need to fix my eyes on you. So they would come and they would engage in the City of Refuge. They were under pastoral leadership. They were under counseling, biblical counseling. There was no time frame. It was, you're in this until God brings you back to the place where he can restore you. And so one of, the, one of the most joyful things in that process was seeing a man who had been in the depths of the sea in his own sin, in his own life, depression. It's at the bottom of the pit where he had been under pastoral counseling, biblical counseling and leadership. And one day that man, sometimes, not all the time, he would stand on the stage at the end of that process. And as a church, thousands of people, we would stand a man on the stage and we would say, this man has been restored back Back to the place where God originally wanted him to be. Now, that didn't happen to everybody. 
And sometimes what happens in our sin is that we never return back to the place of influence that we once had. But the beautiful thing is that God promises when repentance is our attitude, we may not be restored back to the place of influence, but Jesus will never turn his face from us in order to forgive us of our sins and restore us into a right relationship with God. Why? Because we've not been forgotten by him. We've never been forgotten by him. Now, verse 5. This is the actual description. I said it was hot, juicy, sloshing around, and it smelled like Japanese restaurant. This was Jonah's description. Um, <clears throat> water encompassed me to the point of death. And the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my neck. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. This is Jonah acknowledging. This is, the, this is it. This is the bottom. I've hit rock bottom. You know, I've often heard people say that Christianity is sort of a crutch for weak people and poor people and people who are down on their luck. You know what I want to say to that? Yes, yes, yes and amen, yes and amen again. If we theologically understand really what's happening, yes, we are, at, we are down on our luck. We are at the bottom of the pit. And why? Because sometimes in life, those are the moments when we have the opportunity to finally look up. Broken dreams... Broken um, hearts, addiction, sickness. Sometimes these catastrophic moments in life are the moments and the occasion that God is not paying us back. God is bringing us back to his face. But listen to me this morning. Some of you are not walking through catastrophic events. Some of you are not walking through these momentous occasions. It seems like life is shifting. Some of you are walking through a life that's just dull. It's unhappy and it's common and ordinary. You know how you know that? There's a lot of symptoms to what's going on in a dull, ordinary life where we continue to try to suppress what's going on in life. We become depressed. We, we spend way inordinate amounts of time on the internet. We watch way too much TV in order to numb the life circumstances. We engage in pornography. We pursue temptations. We become envious of what somebody else has, but we don't have. For some of us, it's not that we just got laid off, that our marriage just fell apart. For some of us, it's the dull, ordinary, everyday moments where there's just this deep, settled unhappiness in our life. These moments of crisis. For some of us who may be older, we've spent most of our life running our business this way, or managing our finances this way, or raising our kids this way. And all of a sudden, those moments for some of us who are older, what happens is these moments of crisis are when life becomes to, uh, begins to be unraveled at the seams. Like I've done it all the, this way my entire life, and now it's not working out how I thought. This is the moment where I'm at the bottom, and I acknowledge, God, I need to see you for how it really is. I believe this. This is important. This is the beginning of Jonah's repentance. He's saying the same thing about his sin that God would say about it, but he's also beginning to turn towards God. Can I say this to you this morning? Repentance almost always begins in moments of despair. Are you in despair this morning? Are you in despair? This is the moment to turn your face to God, to say the same thing about that he said, and turn to him. Whatever is happening in your life now, God's trying to get your attention. He has you here this morning because there is smoke in your life, and where there is smoke, there is a fire raging. 
So Jonah prays. All this is happening. Water's engulfed him. The weeds are around his neck. The bars of life have surrounded him. Then in verse 6b, the last part of verse 6b says this, but you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah feels like there's no hope, but listen to this. This is, this is, um, this is really good here. God's at work in Jonah's life. Like what's happening in the belly of the whale, it's not solitary confinement on death row. This is a hospital for Jonah's soul. God is at work in Jonah's life. He's at work in your life at the bottom of the pit. Now look what Jonah says. You have brought my life up from the pit. Jonah's not out of the whale yet. Jonah hasn't even been promised he's going to be spit out of the whale. He has no idea how God's going to respond. Yet Jonah is celebrating that God has brought his life out of the pit. What does that mean? Well, Jonah's not celebrating a change in his circumstances like this was awful. Now this is good. I'll celebrate you. No, what Jonah is celebrating is that his life has been redeemed. He's been forgiven of his sin. Not necessarily his circumstances have changed. That's important for you this morning. Repentance means I, I, this is not an if-then scenario, right? Like, like, God, if I do this, will you promise me this? Like my dad, uh, when he was living as an older man, we would go to the beach or we'd swim. He would never get in the water. Why? Because when he was a kid, he almost drowned. He prayed, God, if you'll get me out of here, I'll never go back in the water, right? Some of us have these if-then scenarios with God. God, if you, but, but that, repentance is not an if-then and Jonah's not praying, if you get me out of here, then I'll do this. He's already celebrating that God has lifted his life from the pits. He is celebrating deliverance from his sin. And if Jonah could stand on this stage and talk to us this morning, Jonah would say to every single one of us, the real pit is anywhere apart from God. Amen. So we see verse 7. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. We see this idea throughout the Old Testament. Now, verse 8, if you, if you have a Bible, will you do this with me? Or if you have something to take notes with this morning, I know it may be a little dark, you may not be able to see, you might want to take your phone and do this. If you have a Bible, I just want you to just underline something, and if you have something to take notes, just be prepared to take some notes here. Verse 8, those who, I'm, now, I'm reading from the New American Standard, but I want to read from a different version here because I, want to, I think it'll help you understand what's happening here better. Verse 8, those who regard vain idols... This is Jonah talking. Those who regard vain idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. This is probably the most important verse in Jonah, by the way. It's smack dab in the middle of the book. There's 24 verses before, 23 verses afterwards. Just because it's in the middle doesn't mean it's the most important. But in this circumstance and scenario, this is tied to the most important idea here in the book. When you read commentators on Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, they will say this is an extraordinary moment because Jonah acknowledged idolatry and it didn't just apply to the people in Nineveh that he hated and he did not want to see God forgive. He acknowledged that his own life uh, entertained idolatry. What is idolatry? Well, you probably don't have gold statues laying around your house, but idolatry is just simply this idea, something you love more than God, something in your life you cannot imagine without it. Now listen to me. All of sin is rooted in idolatry. All of sin is rooted in idolatry. Romans chapter one tells us what happened in the garden was that, that Adam and Eve sinned because they loved the tree more than they loved God. 
That was idolatry. Um, Martin Luther, the reformer, um, not, not MLK, Martin Luther, the reformer, several hundred years ago, which in, in, a, in a week or so, uh, the church globally, the Protestant church will celebrate the fact that Martin Luther um, nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel and, uh, and forever changed how we as Protestants experience Christianity. This is what he said about idolatry. To whatever we look for any good thing, and refuge in every need, that is what is meant by God, little g. To whatever you give your heart and entrust your being, that, I say, is really your God. Now, if you'll do this with me just for a moment, if you'll just write this down. Write, write this, uh, literally, I'm, I'm literally asking you to write this down because I promise you this is gonna help you. If you have a phone, write it in your notes app, okay? I want you to understand this. When we come to this idea of idolatry, there are three idols that will wrap around our necks and lead us to running from God. Listen to me, I promise you, whatever sin is going on, whatever sin is predominant in your life, it is rooted in one of these three idols. You can trace every single sin back to them. The three idols are this, the idol of significance. The idol, uh, several months ago, I preached a message on this. The idol of significance gives us this idea that I want to be that. Do you understand what I mean? The idol of significance. The second idol is the idol of comfort. Idol of comfort. I want to feel that. The third idol is the idol of control. I want to have that. I promise you, if you will write that down, I come back to these three idols on a weekly and sometimes daily basis in my life. When I will say and acknowledge before God, God, what that was, was the idol of significance. What that was in that moment was the idol of control and me trying to control the scenario. So my behavior emanated from one of these idols. I promise you in your life, if you will search deeply within your heart, you can recognize every sin in your life based on one of those three idols. And then you can begin the process of saying the same thing about your sin that God says. The, the, the challenge is, is that when, when we turn to an idol, we forfeit this grace. This is what Jonah 2.8 says. When we turn to this idol, we forfeit this grace that God wants to give to us. And so in your running, I want to encourage you. Identify the idol that's at the root of what's going on in your life. Now, this pastor in New York City says that there are four possible responses to disappointed idolatry. By the way, we understand that idols may be joyful and happy in a season, but ultimately they will lead to the futility of life and understanding according to what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. The pastor in New York City says there's four responses when we get to that point. He says, number one, we can blame the idol. Number two, we can blame ourselves. Number three, we can blame the world. Number four, we can turn to God. This idolatry in our life, like the, where Jonah arrived at, by the way, um, if we just took a poll this morning, um, out of those three idols, significance, control, comfort, you, you, can just you can just say it back to me. What idol do you think was emanating from Jonah's heart in Jonah chapter one? What do you think? What do you think? Significance, control, comfort. What do you think? Just say it out loud. 
Comfort, significance, somebody said control. You said all three. There you go. By the way, there was no wrong answer because I believe all three idols were emanating from Jonah's heart. Significance. God, if I go to Nineveh, this will diminish my role, my, uh, my stature as a prophet of God in the nation of Israel, the idol of control. God, you want me to go this way? Sorry, I don't see that plan for my life. I'm going to go this way. The idol of comfort. God, if I go there, they may kill me. I just don't like that idea. I'm more comfortable going to Tarshish. All three idols probably emanated from Jonah's heart and his life. C.S. Lewis said, just like Jonah, he's at the belly of the whale. This ain't working, God. This has not panned out how I thought. C.S. Lewis says, when you arrive at the bottom and you acknowledge and begin to acknowledge it hasn't panned out like you thought, he says this. We quoted this about a month ago. I said it a couple weeks ago. We could literally say this every single week. It's one of my favorite quotes. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Idolatry leads us to this place, the bottom of the pit, where I have to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, this, this didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Now, verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Jonah is coming back to his call of God originally as a prophet. And he is saying, God, you, you called me to preach the gospel of grace. I have vowed to you that I would do so. Now I will go. Now we know the rest of the story here. <laughs> we can read in Jonah 3 and 4. Jonah gets to the end of this process. See, I don't want to give the story away, but you probably know it. Jonah is, is, is not happy. He's bitter at God, and he still hates the Ninevites. He still hates the Ninevites, and he's still bitter towards God. Yet here in verse 9, he says, God, you asked me to go. I'm going to go. Remember we talked about last week, the last two weeks, we can live in rebellion. That's, I'm just going to turn from the face of God. Or two, we can live in obedience, but do it in an unhappy way with no joy in our heart. This is Jonah. Rebellion was chapter one. I'm going to obey, but I'm not happy about it. This is chapter two. That's not where God wants us to live. That's not where God wants us as a people to be. Now listen to verse 10, and then we're almost done. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. If you have a physical Bible this morning, I think it would be good and appropriate as we begin to close out here. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. If you have something to write with, I think it would be greatly appropriate to take a pen or even in your notes app. And you can circle verse 10, and you can write this word. G-R-R. A C E. Grace. Grace. Why grace? Well, God could have allowed Jonah to die at the bottom of the ocean, right? He could have allowed Jonah to die at the bottom of the sea. God could have called another prophet who was more willing to go to Nineveh, right? By the way, God in his foreknowledge, we know that God know, knew what was about to transpire. God knew that Jonah would eventually go to Nineveh, but he knew he would do it with an unwilling heart. God could have looked at Jonah and said, Jonah, I'm sorry. I gave you these opportunities. You didn't take advantage of it. I'm just going to go on to the next guy in line. By the way, this whole process comes under the sovereignty of God. God could have intervened at any point in time, right? He could have intervened at Joppa, could have actually put him on a ship that he thought was going to Tarshish, but it went to Assyria. God could have intervened when the sailors tried to row back to the shore. 
could have allowed them to get all the way back to the shore and throw him up onto the, to the dry land. I mean, God could have intervened. He, he could have intervened at any point in this process, yet he allowed Jonah to go to the bottom of the ocean. God may allow you to suffer for your running because he's always desperately willing to woo you to experience his grace by turning to his face. This is what we've called for centuries. Um, this is, we've called this grace, but let me give you a definition that for centuries we've tried to wrap our idea and our minds around this idea of grace. G-R-A-C-E. It's not my definition. We've used it for a long time, but I hope it will help you wrap your mind around this. Because if you don't understand this, you'll never get to the place where you say, God, I'm gonna love you, serve you, obey you, and I'm gonna do it with a joyful heart. Grace. Grace is an undeserved gift by an unobligated giver. Grace is an undeserved gift by an unobligated giver. Let me try to give you a scenario. If you're a parent, you've got an ungrateful child, hateful child, spiteful child, resentful child, yet you decide to give that child something, a gift, whatever it may be. They've been hateful towards you, yet you decide to give them a gift. Well, what you have there is you have a parent who is an obligated giver. You're the parent after all. You're obligated to them. But you have an undeserving recipient. Let me give you another scenario. <clears throat> Let's say you decide, uh, maybe not here, you decide as a church you want to bless your pastor with a gift. It's Pastor Appreciation Month in October. I'm just randomly using this illustration. <laughs> you decide to bless your pastor with a gift and you say, I'm going to give, and hopefully he's deserving, right? I'm speaking to the people on the podcast, not you, all right? You say, you say, I'm going to give a gift to my pastor. Well, hopefully you have a deserving recipient, but you have an, an, an unobligated giver. An un, you didn't have to give the gift, but you have sort of a... So, you, so it's not the parent idea. It's not the church giving the pastor a gift idea. Now, what about this scenario? You're an employee in an organization, and you've got a terrible boss. He's a jerk. He makes life H-E-double-L. Miserable every day usual occurrence, you say, in spite of that, I'm going to bless my boss and I'm going to give him something he doesn't deserve. You have an unobligated giver. You don't have to do it. And an undeserving recipient. That's this idea of grace. That's this understanding of grace that is necessary to arrive at. And when we fully understand this idea, it should do a few things in our hearts. Jonah has two of these things. He does not have one. The two things that an, a profound experience of grace will do to us is that it will produce humility. It will also produce confidence. What do you mean, Pastor Matt? Well, humility meaning typically we have one or the other. We have humility or we have confidence when, in our understanding of grace. Humility meaning um, maybe in some circumstances, I know that I'm not deserving of God, um, but I'm not confident God will give me grace. That's where we find ourselves often. Or we have confidence because I'm better than my neighbor. I didn't do that. But in that circumstance, we may have confidence, but we don't have humility. We have pride. The gospel says when you rightly understand grace, you'll have humility. I am an undeserving sinner. And you have confidence. In spite of my sin, I know, Jesus, your response is grace definition of the gospel, if you will allow me to apply it, and I'm borrowing it from another pastor. The gospel is that you are more undeserving of God's love than you ever realized. 
more undeserving than God's love than you ever realized. Yet simultaneously, at the same time, you are more accepted and loved by God than you ever imagined. Just picture this. Two alternate realities. You don't deserve it. Yet God gives it. You are, you are undeserving, yet God loves you, and you could never be more accepted than you are in this moment. That's an understanding of grace that begins to transform you. That should create humility. God, I'm not deserving. Confidence. God, I know your response when I come to this place of repentance. Get before, my, my, get before you, and I confess. I say the same thing about your response is grace. First John 1 John 1.9. But the third thing that John, I mean, uh, that Jonah does not have, he's got humility, he's got confidence. He's finally come to the place where he knows, I'm undeserving God. I also know that you will give grace. In fact, he said it in the fourth chapter of Jonah, God, the reason why I didn't want to go is because I knew you would respond this way. The third thing that Jonah doesn't have, the third thing he doesn't have is passion. Passion, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's this idea that, that I love like God loves. I'm generous towards others like God would be. I share your heart, not only in how I understand, but how I live. A profound experience of grace produces humility, it produces confidence, but it also should produce passion. Jonah's bitter. He's about to obey, but he hates it. He hates the Ninevites and he's bitter towards God. It's an excellent picture of re religious people. Excellent picture of re religious people. This idea, like when I was an accounting major at Clemson, I took accounting 101. I'm like, boom, I got that. Accounting 201, I'm like, I'm not sure this is for me. Sort of a Christianity 101. Sort of a Christianity 101. I understand that my idolatry is not good in the sight of God, so I'm gonna surrender to God and I'm going to obey. Christianity 201 says, not only do I have an understanding of, of God's grace and I'm going to surrender and obey, but Christianity 201 says my heart is full and satisfied in knowing the grace of God. And unfortunately, most of us never arrive at that place. And I wanna to say to you this morning, it's a painful process to get there. It's a painful process to acknowledge the state of your life before God. And then probably equally as difficult to have this understanding that God's actually gonna to respond to you, not in a way where maybe somebody else in your life has responded to you, a parent, a boyfriend, a spouse, a child, he's gonna respond altogether different. He's unobligated to do so, yet he still does it. His response is grace. Can I say, I, I'm not sure that we will ever get to that place, Christianity 201, if you'll allow me to say it like that. Like I can obey God and I can do it with a happy, joyful heart. I don't think we'll ever get to that place, if you'll allow me to say it like this, until we gospel ourselves continually, daily ritually, habitually. That's why we just don't stand up here and say, hey, read your Bible, because knowledge ain't gonna get you there. No, no, gospeling ourselves daily, meaning I'm acknowledging God, this is from the pit of hell today. And God, I'm asking you to sprinkle my conscience clean today.
And God, because I have confidence in the grace of God, I know you will do so. And when I get up off my knees today, God, I can walk with passion because I share your same heart. That means whenever we pick up the Bible and read it, we read Jonah like this. We, we read Jonah for what it is. And we look at it and we say, I'm Jonah. I run. God, that's awful. But then we read Jonah like this as well. Jesus is the greater Jonah. In fact, Jonah chapter 2 is this idea sort of similar to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember? He's down praying. Father, if you can, take this cup from me. The weeds are wrapped around my neck. The bars of death are closing in on me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when we read the scripture like that, we gospel ourselves that way. We see ourselves as Jonah, but we see a greater Jonah, and we see the grace of God in Jesus. Reality is we don't have to experience what Jonah experienced because Jesus experienced it for us. That's a profound experience of grace that will transform how we walk with God. But you will never get there. I'm saying this as your pastor with passion and compassion. You will never get there if your experience with God is a one hour a week deal. That's not meant to shame you or give you guilt. I'm saying to you this morning, it's a daily, continual, habitual gospeling of yourself if you want to ever get to the place where you understand the grace of God. You've got to continually tell yourself, remind yourself that God does not look upon sin with a happy heart, but at the same time, when we come to him, 1 John 1, the book of Hebrews, the scripture tells us that he will sprinkle our conscience clean and he will purify our hearts and we have the confidence now that his grace is sufficient in our lives and now I can walk with joy in following God. You never get there unless you gospel yourself daily. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to close us out here this morning. We're going to sing one last song and then we'll be done. Just can I ask you this morning, are you in a crisis? Are you in a crisis? Do you need to make this decision to turn to Jesus today? Scripture calls it repentance. Pastor Matt, will God receive me back from my idols and sin? Listen to me. If you have breath in your lungs today, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Are you a person of second chances? Do you give others grace? Have you surrendered? Are you at this place right now? Repentance comes from a place of desperation. I pray that God will get your attention through Jonah chapter 2 today. Realizing the uselessness of idols and understanding the grace of God. You're here on purpose this morning. Jesus is not done with you. I'm going to pray for us, but I want to say this to you believers in this room this morning. I pray that this is not just another religious experience, another hour in your week. I pray God will capture your heart. It may not be catastrophic right now, but it may be ordinary and dull and unhappy, and God's using that occasion in your life to remind you He's wooing you by his grace. Would you experience his grace this morning? That may mean you, without shame, you, you come down to the front on your knees, cry out to the Lord in your chair. Now, can I say this to you if you're not a believer this morning? You just happen to walk into this auditorium. 
you've never given your life to Jesus, I'd love for you to come to this place where you realize the grace of God is applicable to you. Where you say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, this is the moment where I'm, I recognize my sin. I turn from it. God, I trust my life to you. This is a watershed moment where the scripture says he will save you from your sin. And now you've been put in a right relationship with God where his response is always grace. How do you come there? You simply get before the Lord. You acknowledge before him with your voice, literally saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have sinned. This moment, I desire for you to save me and forgive me of my sin. Jesus, from this point forward, I want to walk the rest of my days with you. If you just say that prayer right where you are this morning, I believe with all of my heart. If it, that prayer is the genuine, authentic desire of your heart. God hears it. He will see it. And this is a watershed moment. He will change your life and save your life. And now you begin this journey with God. That's you this morning. And you said that prayer. I'm going to confess that to the Lord. After the service, I want you to stop by the Connect table and fill out a card that says, I trusted Jesus with my life. Why? We're not going to embarrass you, make you say anything you don't want to say. We simply want to help you begin this journey with Jesus this morning, if that's you. Father, thank you for your grace. Undeserved, unmerited, my unobligated giver. You didn't have to, God, but you did. And God, I pray that you'd stir our hearts and our affections to understand that fully today. In Jesus' name we pray.